0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of We Are History. I'm Angela Barnes. I'm John
1: O'Farrell. And we've got some exciting news, haven't we, Angela? We have, John. Go on. If you want to support us, we now have a brand new membership club. Say what? Yeah, yeah, no. By joining with a small donation. It means we can make more episodes and release them more regularly. And it's a nice way of making sure we can keep delivering the weird history and the wonderful history that you know and love us for.
0: Yeah, this small pledge every month means that you get every episode of We Are History a week early and ad free oh that's exciting plus you'll be able to suggest topics for us to dive into in the next series donate a little bit more and you'll be sent unique we are history merchandise and exclusive access to our zoom live events and much more so to find out more just click the link in the bio or visit podmasters.co.uk slash we are history for more information
1: fantastic you can of course continue to listen for free as you always have done but we will judge you won't we Angela We we might judge you a little bit might read names out of mean people.
0: Look, We know there's a cost of living crisis. You do what you got to do. But if you can sponsor us so that we can keep making this podcast that we love doing, uh, but we do have mortgages to pay, then please go ahead and do so. Anyway, John, that's enough of that.
1: Right. What are we doing? This week, Angela, we're doing Eastern Europe. We're doing modern history. We're doing Cold War, post-Cold War. And it wasn't even Angela who chose it. What is going on? The
0: world has flipped upside down, John.
1: (laughs) So uh, we're doing... Modern Albania, flipping from extreme Stalinism to disaster capitalism almost overnight. And I chose this because of a book that my son lent me called Free by Leah Erpi. I think that's how we pronounce it. We've put it
0: into a Google pronunciation thing and that's our best bit so Leah if you if you do listen we're doing our best yeah. I hope that's okay
1: It is actually a memoir rather than a history book but its subtitle is Coming of Age at the End of History and she recalls being a child and a teenager during those tumultuous times in Albania uh, it's a great book and I thoroughly recommend that free it by, is I've read it yeah, as well, yeah, it it as well. fantastic she's actually an academic at the LSE um, but off the back of that I read Modern Albania by Fred Abrahams which is the New York University Press and A Concise History of Albania by Burns J. Fisher and Oliver Jens Schmidt
0: they sound like a laugh a minute John
1: <laughs> I was a ho 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 see we
0: do do our research on this podcast it's not just get on a guest comedian asking what his favourite root vegetable is or whatever <laughs> Actually, that does
1: sound like a lot less work, John. <laughs> should we start doing that? Yeah, I think we yeah. The other reason I wanted to do this subject is because there are lots of stories of Albanian immigrants coming into the UK at the moment, and they're usually presented in a very negative light. And I think it would be good to get some context on why they're leaving their homeland. And maybe people might be a bit more understanding and sympathetic and realise that they might do the same uh, if they were in the same position.
0: I think you've got more hope for humanity than I do, John. But, okay. Yeah. Um, so we've already done a podcast about 1989 in Eastern Europe, which is a special year uh, because it was the collapse of most of the communist regimes uh, in Poland, Romania, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, etc., etc. So have a listen to that. Uh, But there was always one country that was a bit out on its own. It wasn't part of the Warsaw Pact. It placed itself quite deliberately, eventually, outside the orbit of the Soviet Union, but was also completely shunned by the West. And this is a country that's right on our doorstep. Yeah. So tell us about Albania. Right in the heart of Europe. Um, Albania is a small country in the Balkans. Now there's only less than 3 million people that live there. Uh, sorry, fewer than 3 million people that live there. I did the thing that infuriates me myself. <laughs> um, 28,000 square kilometres, so roughly the size and population of Wales. Except imagine if for half a century, John, yep. Wales had had a government a bit like North Korea and it was right next door to England. That's what it was like for the Greeks and the Italians. They had this totalitarian regime on their doorstep. And, of course, even worse for the poor Albanians who had to live under it.
1: Right. So quick race through modern Albanian history. For hundreds of years, part of the Ottoman Empire, of course, um, the population is still majority Muslim there. Mm. It declared independence just before the First World War. Then it was ruled by King Zog.
0: Which is a great name, however you slice it. It
1: is, King Zog. There aren't many of them, are there? It
0: sounds sort yeah. of like the name that you'd give to an alien in a children's book.
1: <laughs> it does sound like children's. And before the news, but let's go and see how King Zog is getting <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. Um, he was actually not really a royal. He just decided he'd like to be king. Uh, which is, of course, what all monarchy is really, just add a few generations.
0: Yeah, why why'd we stop doing that? That would have really been something if when the Queen died, Liz Truss went, right, I'm Queen now. <laughs> I
1: wouldn't have put it past <laughs> that.
0: No, nor would <laughs> I. I bet uh, you it crossed
1: her mind. Um, Albania was occupied by Mussolini in 1939 and became an Italian protectorate. And then in 1943 was occupied by Germany. Uh, as the war came to an end there was fighting between nationalists and communists with the communists winning and after the war the country became a satellite state of the soviet union and enver hoxha hodja uh, how's that hodja hodja it's a- 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 Rhymes with Todja.
0: Yes. hodja yes go- you could have eh. said anyway you could have said dodger <laughs>
1: no. bodger but no straight to Todger. king zog lived in exile in england he stayed in the ritz hotel in a bit and then in buckinghamshire then paris not a real king, as I said, but then prince wasn't a real prince.
0: <laughs> so, fair enough. But then when Stalin died in 1953, relations with Moscow and Albania began to deteriorate. Um, Hodger was a diehard Stalinist. And he felt this new namby-pamby communism of Khrushchev was a bit of a betrayal of socialist principles. Yes. Although you'd argue, I think, by 1953 that plausible deniability about what Stalin had been up to sort of waned a little bit but he he dug his heels in did old Hodger
1: I've been to Labour Party meetings with a few people like this you never never think oh I hope they're going to the pub afterwards going to have a good old letter (laughs) and a catch up hard Um, line yes
0: so Um, He broke with Moscow completely, actually, after 1968, which was the Czech Prague Spring. Yes. Uh, Dubček tries to bring in these reforms and Brezhnev Doctrine uh, was enacted, which was any of these Soviet states that rose up would be invaded and brought back down by the Soviets. And then Nixon visits China in 1972, try and open up US trade. So Hodja believes that Albania is the only country left in the world to have got the right sort of Hardline socialism that everyone wow. else was going a bit soft.
1: Yeah, so in the early 80s, uh, me and my student mates used to listen to Radio Albania just for a laugh because it was yes. so insane and so <laughs> deluded uh, about uh, how Albania was the only country with the right sort of socialism. Wow. So um, Hodges' paranoia found expression in the thousands of concrete bomb shelters all over the place. Mm. This would be of no interest to you, Angela, so I'm oh, going to skip over domestic. this section <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> Cold war concrete bomb shelters I don't think anyone's going to be interested uh, in any of these so <laughs> but just just to say They built 750,000 of them. That's five for every square mile. It's a small country. Massive drain on Albania's resources. And citizens trained from the age of 12 to station themselves at the nearest bunker to repel invaders.
0: I can tell you a bit more about Albanian bunkers around here. Yeah, go on. Um, So they're mostly these sort of one or two person pillboxes, but there were some big bunkers as well that were used for government and bureaucrats, obviously. Um, These little concrete domes that were reinforced with steel and iron, like a sort of, you see them in the countryside, like a sort of dystopian telly tubbies Wow! these concrete domes they're quite striking and there were lots of strategic bunkers and tunnels so the bigger um strategic bunkers uh, that actually albania is thought to be the second most tunneled country in the world after north korea wow there you
1: go that you sense, um, i wonder how many albanians had their first sex in a derelict bunker
0: quite a lot i imagine because <laughs> uh, the, the tunnels were built in great secrecy the engineering teams like they weren't allowed to see, they'd be moved around on a monthly basis. So they'd never see the bunker they're working on right. come to its full. And about 70 to 100 people a year died constructing these bunkers. Wow. And like you say, massive drain on housing. And yeah. it, um, on average, they said that each bunker cost the equivalent. Uh, of a two-room apartment and the resources used to build them could easily have resolved Albania's chronic housing
1: shortage. That's so nuts, isn't
0: it? And they also took up loads of arable farmland while people were hungry, you know, that could have been used for food. Um, Like everywhere else in Europe, they were decommissioned pretty much in 1992. Although there's evidence that a lot of the bunkers were used again in the insurrection of 97 and in the Kosovo war in 1999. There wow. you go. Bunker lecture over. Thank you very much. Have
1: you been to Albania? I haven't been to Albania. Oh, it it's on like my I list. It could have been your honeymoon, Angela. You, I'm, just, I'm surprised do you know, if my
0: husband would have agreed to it, it absolutely would have been. Unfortunately, <laughs> he's not quite as... Inter- I remember once we went away, he loves hiking and nature. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. Different. And we went away, we were in the Cairngorms in Scotland yeah. having, doing a hike. In the countryside, and I spotted a, a, an ROC monitor post bunker. I just saw the ventilation shaft. He's like, Oh, for God's
1: sake, everywhere we go. <laughs> Let's go somewhere that hasn't got a view underground. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I knew I had put in my notes more chat on bunkers. Angela will be unable to resist it. So you're welcome. Yeah, Hodger died in 1985, but in April, So, 85, so he just missed the release of Say You, Say Me by Lionel (laughs) Richie. love Um, how that's just
0: all you went for. (laughs) um,
1: None of the books I read said anything about this. But anyway, he was revered (laughs) as a national saviour and father of the nation, even if privately lots of people didn't feel like that about him at all. Mm. Shock horror. The date of his death was omitted from his tombstone, uh, as his successor, Ramiz Alia, said that a man such as Hodja could never die. And he was buried next to the other famous Albanian, the statue of Mother Teresa.
0: Just to be clear, Albania was, of course, a one-party state. No opposition, no free newspapers, no criticism of the government or the party was allowed in any media. There was no travel out of Albania, so nothing for people to compare their situation to. Religion was completely banned, so despite it being a largely Muslim country with some Christians, there was no religion at all during this period, no cars, car ownership was banned, there were regular power cuts, regular shortages, people generally poor, repressed and too frightened to protest and also just no way of knowing what was going on in other countries and other places.
1: Yes, and so anyway, when the revolutions of 1989 swept across Europe, Albania was sort of too isolated and too repressed to get swept along immediately. Mm. Students did become politically active but uh, it was the last of the old European communist governments to fall. started in 1990 uh, with thousands of people storming foreign embassies hoping for asylum while others took to rusty boats to sail across the Adriatic to Italy. Um, It's sort of mad, isn't it, how I think a lot of
0: people think that these desperate boat crossings are a modern thing. They've been a thing forever.
1: Yeah. There were student uh, demos and on the 11th of December the Democratic Party was founded.
0: Now, the simple policy of the Democratic Party was, we want Albania to be like the rest of Europe, which doesn't really seem like an unreasonable request for a country that is literally slap bang right in the middle of the rest of Europe. But it was something that proved very difficult to bring about. Yeah, it wasn't quite as simple as they hoped. Leah
1: Lea Earp's mother became active in the party. Not quite. She sure, wasn't quite sure what it stood for, but knowing what it wasn't. And that was the point, which it wasn't what had gone before. It's a
0: little bit like the Labour Party now. I don't really know what it stands for, but it's just anything It's got other,
1: be bad. It's got anything be bad other than, than what we've got. That's right. <laughs> um, I've I defend the Labour Party.
0: Um, of course. <laughs> I, with the, I wondered how you'd respond to that, John. I like putting <laughs> you on the spot like that.
1: Of course, with the isolation they had experienced, they had no idea how to be a political party. How do you sit down and write a constitution? They've not been in contact with, you know, um, European politics. Mm. So the Green Party of Kosovo faxed over their constitution uh, and they started copying it out, but only half the facts arrived. Really? Um, <laughs> um, elect- oh, Green Party <laughs> <laughs> I know, they that couldn't work the technology It's probably on part well, They were saving paper because it's were. the Green Party <laughs> Exactly right Elections were held before the Democratic Party had got their act together and had time to get organised Yeah, the party had a total of eight cars and it's very hard oh. to get material distributed or get candidates in place and the government still controlled the media So in March 91, the existing government was re-elected by the Conservative peasants who were very wary of what's happening in them their r- urban areas.
0: Well, again, that's what happens, isn't it? Yeah. Why conservatism will out because people are scared of any sort of change, even if it might be changed for the better or might not be. Yeah. Um I think what's interesting there as well is I think we it's really easy to forget how hard it was to disseminate information as yeah. recently as the nineteen nineties. Yeah. We, we take the internet suddenly so for granted that you can get it
1: yeah, information to everyone. Fax machines that run out of paper.
0: Fax machines run out of paper. You haven't got <laughs> cars to distribute yeah. leaflets to different places. Yeah. These things that seem so simple really weren't. So... The name of the country was changed from the People's Socialist Republic of Albania to just the Republic of Albania, yes. which is quite an obvious sort of, yeah, yeah. We'll take the people out of that. Yeah. Thank you very much. No more pretending. Yeah. It's weird when a country puts loads of adjectives in its Never name. Never a good like sign. That. They Never love doing sign. it in a totalitarian yeah. state, don't yeah. we? we? should do it more often. And it, like Mongolia should be the empty and much too far away Republic of Mongolia. Very
1: good idea. Or yeah. in
0: one of those Gulf states that, are, you know, you can have the rich but tacky and horrifically misogynist kingdom of Dubai. <laughs>
1: I think we should say that at the United Nations. Yeah, I'll bring it up. I think Great Britain is pushing it a bit these days, if we're (laughs) honest. OK, Britain might be better. A bit more honest. So anyway, the Republic of Albania had shaken off its unconvincing adjectives, and the first proper multi-party elections were held in 1991. By this point, the country was collapsing into economic chaos. Only about 25% of the state's productivity was operational. There were nationwide strikes organised by the new unions. And so the government appealed for foreign aid before the whole country starved because there was no food on the shelves. So this
0: time, the Italian troops were a little bit more welcome than they'd been in the past. Yeah. About 750 of them helped to distribute 90% of Albania's basic food needs during this period. Right. And then in March 1992... There were some new elections, and this time the Democratic Party won a substantial victory. And it was the first post communist government who took office, and Sally Barisha became president. Okay. Now, this new government adopted the International Monetary Fund uh, shock therapy approach oh, dear. extreme capitalism after decades of a strictly controlled economy. And, John, I can't see that going wrong. No,
1: absolutely. At all. No, I mean, I'm sure everything got settled down very quickly and there was no need to about And do a they just got on
0: with the rest of their lives. Um, it was quite a People might remember the toppling of the statue in 1992. It's of It's often a symbol of the end of a totalitarian re- yeah. regime. You see the picture of the toppling of a, of a statue, statue of, of the dictator. It's quite a symbolic moment, moment isn't yeah. it? It happened in, I think it was Skanderberg Square in Tirana, that iconic picture. Yes, and, and then you've got um,
1: Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Yeah, the slaver in Bristol.
0: Yeah, exactly. Topping yeah. statues does mean something. Yeah, and uh, we're in London right now, John, and there's a ton of statues out there I want to topple. So I think we should take a break. I'm going to go and push someone over.
1: All right, we'll be back when you've been arrested. So we're talking about Albania, massive social changes uh, happening in the early 90s from just 200 cars in 1989 to 120,000 private vehicles, uh, imported, stolen vehicles, most of them. Uh, suddenly, Albania was open and all sorts of people started to arrive from the West. Tourists, con men, speculators, everything. Mm. Uh, and the newfound freedom and deregulation led to a rapid rise in organised crime. You've had the collapse of Yugoslavia over the border and this offered unique smuggling opportunities.
0: And also, of course, there's a deterioration in the status of women in Albania. The Marxist doctrine sort of, it's sort of paid lip service to gender equality. Right. So it's not that women have freedom because nobody did. I think sometimes that can be pushed a bit. Yeah. Like, oh, women have more uh, power and more yeah. autonomy in these regimes. But of course, no one had power or autonomy, including yeah. women. Um, so it's a bit of a fallacy to say that. Because um, so I don't believe that that autonomy or that power really arose from a desire for for men to emancipate women. I think it was just, it was all hands on deck for a worker's paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And women had to get as dirty as anyone to make that happen. Yeah. And, And I think you see that because as soon as the older, more traditional attitudes begin to resurface that status for women is immediately one of the first things to go. Yeah,
1: yeah, it wasn't built in. It wasn't hard-baked. Hard-baked by the ladies, was it? No. Um, People started buying Western clothes from imported jumble, and they had absolutely no idea about fashion or what you normally wore for what occasion. So teachers would come to school thinking they looked really cool, wearing these dressing gowns. uh, And uh, Leah Earp's own mum had a meeting with a visiting delegation of French feminists, and she wanted to look really smart for them. And all the French women turned up in sombre grey suits, while her mum was wearing what turned out to be a long red nighty. Oh, <laughs> poor mum! Oh, it's so embarrassing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she must have thought it was some sort of glamorous evening wear. No idea she was wearing discarded sexy lingerie from oh, Anne Summers.
0: Second-hand lingerie, no one wants that. <laughs> oh dear. Um, Religion became legal again, of course, but because of there have been no religion for decades, there's no trained priests or imams in Albania. So, of course, states like Saudi Arabia and America, they spot uh, an They've opportunity market, here yeah. and, you know, start... Turning up and telling people how religion should be done, because that's how you want to ease back into religion, really. Yes. um, With American Christianity and Saudi
1: Islam. Sounds perfect. Oh, God. There's a story in the memoir of uh, some Albanians being really excited to have met some American visitors. And they said, oh, these American Marines were really friendly and wanted to meet us again. And they said they'd help us practice our English. And it's like, really, were they American Marines? I think, I think they said Marines, or was it Mormons?
0: Ah, <laughs> right, <laughs> Mormons.
1: Yeah, they probably want to do more than help oh, you with your English.
0: That's <laughs> yeah. so exploitative, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, these so- fundamentalists immediately, Islam and Christian both immediately went, ah ha ha, fresh
1: blood. Exactly. Just, yeah, sort of uh, some some vulnerable people. Let's get in there. Yeah. So uh, the new leader Barisha behaved increasingly like an autocrat, not allowing any criticism of him. Uh, he blamed everything on the former communists. There was a show trial of Hodger's widow and Alia. Uh young el- unqualified judges humiliating older defendants. I
0: suppose it feels a bit like, OK, you've got this new democratic, but but the only sort of rule you've ever known is autocracy. Is, is autocracy. Yeah. A bit like when children repeat the mistakes of their parents despite swearing to be different. Yeah. I'll never say that to my kids. And then they inevitably it, it, do, do because yep. it's the only patterns of behaviour they know.
1: Yes. Yes. The pub- abuse is handed down from yeah. government to government. Uh, he drafted a new constitution which would strengthen his own power as president, but he couldn't get through parliament, so he organised a referendum and he lost that badly despite lots of dodgy manipulation, which made him even more determined to fix the next elections in 1996.
0: So now Albania had sort of the illusion of democracy, sort yeah. of homeopathic democracy, yes. and and still had the backing of Italy and the US. But Borussia was changing the law to prevent former communists from standing for office. The use of political violence was widespread. Journalists and critics were all very nervous to speak out. Socialists withdrew from the election two hours prior to the closing of the polls, which seems a little late. It does, not it, really?
1: It's like, you might have done it a week earlier, guys. Yeah. Not not everyone's got WhatsApp yet, so uh, they probably didn't hear about it. So, Berisha was, of course, delighted that he had won his fixed election. And his party now controlled 87% of the seats in Parliament. But... But, Angela, the cost of this victory was enormous because it was now roundly condemned by the EU and the USA, who'd been sort of trying to support Mm -hmm. the idea of democracy. And he'd lost most of his credibility, and now he was not well positioned to deal with the massive crisis that had been building for some time. And that would result in what was one, one of the books I read claimed was the biggest popular armed revolt in Europe since the 19th century. Wowzers. And all this began with the pyramid buying schemes that had quickly gripped the country in the mid-1990s, which suddenly all began to collapse.
0: So this is really interesting. We did a podcast a couple of series ago, I think, on on the tulip fever in the Netherlands in the 17th century. And there's loads of examples of this sort of investor madness that grips a whole society. You've got the South Sea Bubbles, another one. But in Albania in the mid-90s, nearly the whole country was seduced by pyramid schemes that looked too good to be true. And that's because they were too good to be true. And you could totally see how – when you've suddenly got freedom and yeah. money and and the freedom to do with it what you will.
1: And no educational experience of what – No, and no idea yeah.
0: of, of how investment works.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there were about a- – 25 main firms involved. And you have to remember that this was a society, as you said, not grown up with any sort of economic choices. All they knew is that the rest of Europe seemed to have wealth and choice. And the way to achieve that was through free market economics. And look at this bloke is saying, if I invest in this scheme, I will double my money. And everyone I know is doubling their money. So we have to get in on this quick.
0: It's so so obvious how it happened, isn't it? It is to
1: us, but we're we're lucky. The biggest firm was called uh, Vifa Holding, created in 94, and invested in uh, various parts of the economy, hotels, uh, fuel, shops, factories. It would go bankrupt four years later while its president was in prison. But for a short period, everyone seemed to be doing really well and people were doubling their money. Meanwhile, observers from the other parts of Europe were saying, guys, this is not sustainable. It's a pyramid scheme. Frankly, they were so desperate to stop being so poor back then that if you had said to them, would you like to invest in an actual pyramid? (laughs) You just have to get six other people to invest in this pyramid. They would have believed you when you said this is not a pyramid scheme.
0: The thing is, I mean, there's still pyramid schemes today. There's still, you know, people fall for them because some people do get rich. But that's the thing. It's the people at the top. The The weird thing about this was... Also, at the time, the most striking building in central Tirana was a giant glass and steel <laughs> pyramid. Insane. Like, it's just a symbol of all this madness yeah. that's going on around. It opened in 1988 as the Enver Hoxha Museum, um, but then was renamed and repurposed as a sort of conference centre. As far as I can make out for the pictures online today, it's mainly used <laughs> as a big slide for local children.
1: And <laughs> um, uh, Even the IMF were telling the Albanian government to shut down the schemes. Meanwhile, the individual members of the government were all getting rich with these amazing interest rates. They were probably saying to the IMF, hey, do you fancy being one of the six new investors I have to find to stay in the scheme? (laughs) It's estimated that two thirds of the Albanians had put their money into these schemes. Many had sold their homes in order to invest. Albanians working abroad were sending all their money home to get rich quick. And this was a time when the weekly Albanian income was $80 a week. And so suddenly to be offered interest rates of 25% a month is very attractive, of course. And mm. to begin with, people seem to be making a lot of money like this.
0: Well, that's it. People do make money with these things at the beginning. Yeah. That's the point, isn't it? But once everybody wants a slice of the cake, yeah. there's not enough cake. Yeah. Um, maybe we do need to explain a little bit what pyramid schemes are they're basically an investment scam where each person signs up on the promise of getting more investors and each investor pays upwards but it can't keep growing fivefold or sixfold because pretty quickly there aren't enough people in the whole of Albania or wherever and only the first people involved have this huge amount of money and everyone who gave them their pension is left thinking oh silly me I'm Rubbish at maths, like I am. Maybe I should have thought about this for five minutes or so. Yes, yeah, so... But is, you yeah. can see how people get swallowed up because some people are getting rich. Oh,
1: it does sound quite good, actually, Angela.
0: Yeah, let's <laughs> let me, do it. Let me
1: show my house. <laughs> um, so, by January 1997, it became clear that the companies could no longer keep up their payments. And one after the other, these companies all went bankrupt Mostly in a period of a week, Albanians began to take to the streets.
0: Sorry, John, I didn't listen to that last bit you said, um, because now I know what pyramid schemes are. I'm going to go make a quick phone call, but I'll be back in a minute. Hello, I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now? The politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. So... We've got a population of only 3 million people. Due to these mass pyramid schemes, they've lost a total of $1.2 billion. Wow. And they're pretty pissed off about it, John.
1: Yeah, I bet they are.
0: Um, They previously endured the very worst sort of phony socialism and now they're being conned by the worst type of Criminal capitalism. I mean, talk about out of the frying pan into the fire. And it's like there was no happy bit in the middle, no, was no, there? No, no, there was no sort of... it just immediately went horribly Yeah,
1: stopped. that's why I find Albania so interesting, is yeah, they had the very worst of both systems of East and West. And, um, and
0: immediately after each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so the leader of the Democratic Party was sent to the uh, Western town of uh, Lushnje. I don't know how you say that. Lushnje? Lushnje to resolve the demonstrations, and he was captured by the demonstrators who held him hostage. So they had to send in Albanian special forces. Not sure what that involved. Maybe a donkey in a cart. Um, (laughs) Hitch the donkey to the cart. The Albanian special forces are going in. Um, By the end of the week, virtually every government institution in the city had been destroyed or looted. Everyone was demanding their money back. But the harsh fact was there was no money, of course. So the instigator of these scams were either in prison or fled abroad and probably bought some vulgar luxury apartment in Dubai or a Vauxhall near me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, rioting, endangering the south of Albania and fearing a civil war, President Berisha ordered the opening of the army weapons depots in the <laughs> northern areas of the country, which is justified by the need to protect the north from the south.
0: I love this. I mean, that's always a good plan, isn't it? Like if civil unrest is growing, you're worried about
1: outbreak of civil war. Everyone, help yourself to a gun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no developed democracy. At least it's a fair fight. Yeah, no developed democracy would do that, would it? Britain wouldn't do that. France <laughs> wouldn't do that. America, oh, actually, second thoughts. <laughs> So, in southern Albania, they looted the arms depots, even if they weren't welcome. And in total, 650,000 weapons were looted from army depots.
0: Wow. So, they think every male from the age of 10 up, like a 10 year old child, yeah. John, imagine you as a 10 year old boy having a gun. No, not
1: good. Had yeah. at least
0: one firearm and plenty of ammunition. And it was, I mean, in the biggest understatement that you've ever written in your notes, John, not an ideal situation. <laughs> no. For a major economic and social crisis. Students were on hunger strike. Gold was robbed from the Albanian state treasury. And frankly, putting the right rubbish in the recycling bin seemed a lot less important
1: (laughs) all of a sudden. So (laughs) taking advantage of the collapse of law and order, criminal gangs armed themselves and took control of entire cities. This
0: is like if if LA local government lost control, it collapsed and the city suddenly... Being controlled by the Crips and the bloods. It's no Imagine it. different, isn't so it? So thousands
1: of people were killed. All sorts of power struggles played out and crime and robbery became endemic and the government tried to use troops to reassert its control. Exiled leaders returned from Greece and elsewhere and gathered armed support to try and exploit the situation, taking military control of various cities. Gangs announced through speakers and flyers that people must not go out as they'd be fighting. And the power struggles saw many killed every night as different groups of criminals fought to take over control of major cities.
0: So in March of that year, a national state of emergency was declared. Um, Sounds like it might have been a little bit overdue, that John. 2,000 people had already been killed and tens of thousands had fled the country and the UN Security Council approved dispatching a multinational military force to oversee the distribution of military aid. And in the middle of all of this... The son of old King Zog turns up and claims the throne of Albania, calling for a referendum on the monarchy. And you're like, come on, mate, we're a bit busy at the minute. Yeah, but despite, sort this out and then we'll
1: get round to your phone. Yeah, all right? Yeah, but despite everything else that was going on, they had the referendum, partly because... How did they administer that? I don't know. There's armed gangs going around. It's like sort of, you know, Mad Max or something in the streets of Tirana. <laughs> but then they're having a referendum on the monarchy. I Jeez. think Berisha yes. wanted to distract people from how shit he was doing. Uh, yeah, as, as you say, how do you organise that with gangs roaming the street? Uh, one bloke still asking you if you want to invest in his foolproof get-rich-quick scheme. Oh, I do not know. Anyway, the result was two-thirds against restoring the monarchy and the Laker, uh, the son of Zog, not the Russian dog who went to space, <laughs> said the result was fixed by the communists and that he was actually one and was king.
0: <laughs> right, so Prince Laker actually argued for a greater Albania So he wanted to, I mean, this is a thing to throw into. So not only is this going on, we can't control the Albania we've got. What he thinks you should do now is extend the borders of Albania into Kosovo, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia and Greece. Which, I don't know about you, John, uh, I mean, that's just what the Balkans needed at the end of the 90s. It's a great idea. Once Yugoslavia's disintegrated into bloody civil war and ethnic cleansing, what everyone was crying out for was a little bit of Albania (laughs) getting in, invading all its neighbours. Why not?
1: Sometimes you just Join the party. Sometimes you want to just take people aside and go, mate, come on. (laughs) Chill out. Greater Albania, really? (laughs) You haven't got the Alba- you haven't got Albania yeah, at the minute. get Albania sorted first. Yeah. They even claimed Corfu, uh, frankly. I wow. went to Corfu in the 90s. And frankly, I'm not sure how that club med would have been under Albanian <laughs> rule. The volleyball tournament had been cancelled after the teams brought machine guns and stole all the turnips from the food store. <laughs> um, so mid-April 1997, United Nations troops started to arrive. Over half of them were Italian. Italy, of course, having a long association with Albania. 7,000 troops Secured the capital and went around trying to collect all the looted weapons. <laughs> come uh, on, give it yeah, back. <laughs> yeah, Operation Alba, as it was known, lasted until August when things settled down a bit. Wow.
0: And the, the crazy thing about this yeah. is that nobody here in Britain remembers any of this from the time. No. Like, what were we doing in 97? We were preoccupied. Well, I know what you were doing. You were writing a book about yeah, yeah, Tony Labor's Blair. Yeah, uh, New Labour's just coming to power. The Diana's died. Barely anyone. No one here noticed a a virtual civil war in a country just over there. Yeah. I mean, it might as well have been a million miles away. Yes.
1: In June 97, Berisha had resigned and the socialists and their allies were returned to power. But that only lasted a year. A new constitution was put to a referendum which was held in November 98. But that was boycotted by the opposition. So Fatos Nano had been in prison in March. He now became prime minister after just walking out of an unguarded prison cell. He'd become PM for a year and then again for three years. But frankly, the country was sort of ungovernable. 30% of the population had got out in just under a decade.
0: That's quite a drain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You Um, know, and ever since, Albania has just been sort of limping along without any government having its authority accepted by most of the population with central government ineffective and not able to carry out basic state building yeah
1: things are, you know, obviously have settled down since '97, but it's still not a fully functioning country they've been begun negotiations to join the European Union Albania was admitted to NATO in 2014 uh, so that should swing it when World War 3 comes along that's why yes. we still got those farmers with the looted weapons from the 90s so that's
0: <laughs> why poor Albania has just struggled so much since the fall of the Berlin Wall they had the worst of both worlds and now all they're Teachers and engineers and doctors and anyone with any, you know, ability to get out has. They've emigrated because they dream of a better life in places like Britain, where they can use their medical degree to deliver pizzas on a moped because the British government won't give them proper work visas. Yeah. Uh, because because obviously the NHS isn't short staffed or anything so why would we need their doctors and nurses?
1: Yeah, so the reason I want to do this podcast is you think about all the shit they've been through and when you hear mm. about Albanians trying to get into this country they're generally economic migrants rather than refugees fleeing war or persecution like the Syrians or Afghans but you would probably do the same if you lived in a country yeah. of so little opportunity where corruption and violence uh, were everywhere so Albanians generally don't want to bring that to the UK they're trying to get away from that kind of thing most of them want to earn a bit of money and go home again I met one the other day, actually, and I said to him, the first thing I'm going to say is, this is not a pyramid scheme. John. <laughs> um,
0: but it's true, isn't it? You know, I think there's this idea of economic migrants, but, but what that actually means is they're, they're <laughs> fleeing a place. Okay, it's not technically... A war zone, but it is—it's a yeah. you know, it's but not it's okay an to have unsafe. It, it, yeah, sort of chaos.
1: It's okay to have economic migrants if you have a labour shortage yeah. and you need some people to work in the H.S. or you know deliver pizzas or you know Absolutely. work for Uber or whatever. That's uh, something we need in this country, uh, and yet this sort of government stirs up this sort of fear of Albanians, and they're they're talked about as if they have no right to leave their country. Ooh. So. Uh, proper processing, proper uh, visa systems would mean that the Albanians could earn a bit of money, go home again, and um, we could treat them like the human beings that they so obviously are. Um, I should say my main sources for this, as I said, were Modern Albania by Fred Abrahams and The um, uh, Concise History of Albania by Fisher and Len Schmidt. Uh, but I do thoroughly recommend uh, You Read Free by Leah Erpey. Um, Angela read it as well yeah it's really interesting read and it's just
0: interesting like Albania you know it's a place I haven't really thought about very much
1: yeah that's the thing um, that's, that's been Europe's problem generally
0: yeah exactly
1: so good luck Albania yeah
0: we'll send, we're we'll, rooting for you Albania
1: we'll send you a we are history mug and see if that
0: I tell you went. what I lived on um, uh, Green Lanes in Haringey for a while yeah. and there was a football tournament yeah I can't remember which one one of the big ones and Albania won a match or something and Boy, do they know how to celebrate
1: oh, really? winning oh, yeah, a football match. Oh, it was brilliant. flags with, with the black Flags Elon. out their cars, driving yeah. up down
0: green lanes with the horns going. It was absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, so that's it for today. We will be back soon with another episode of We Are History. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at We Are History. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends and family. And also you can subscribe to our members club for uh, lots of uh, merchandise and, and other little benefits for free content and a yeah. uh, chance to to be in a zoom with me and john thank you very much for listening we'll see you next time Bye.
1: we are history is written and presented by angela barnes and john o'farrell with audio production by me simon williams the lead producer is Amory marie luff and the group editor is andrew harrison with artwork by james parrott we are history is a podmasters production